always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning, folks. Welcome to another exciting edition, a three-hour show of green and growing right here on 95.5 WSB. I, of course, am Ashley Frasca. You hear me doing traffic Monday through Friday, triple team traffic during Atlanta's morning news. Then we get to slow the pace down a little bit on Saturday mornings, and this is what I love. And I also love bringing you guest experts to share exciting and new information with you. And these two you definitely will remember if you've listened to the show over the course of the last year. Mary Kay Woodworth, the executive director of Georgia Urban Ag Council, and Clint Waltz. He's been on the show a number of times, turf grass specialist at the University of Georgia. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Good morning Ashley. Mary Kay, I'm going to start with you. Give us the lowdown, the 411, on the role of the Urban Ag Council here in Georgia for folks who may not know. Well, the Georgia Urban Ag Council is a professional association for the landscape, turf, and horticulture industry. We're a statewide organization. You know, you know, there's not a lot of requirements to become a landscape company, but the companies and individuals who are members of our association do so because they want to be affiliated with an organization to show that they are interested in excellent and best management practices and progressive thought and being able to run their businesses professionally. And we do know a lot of folks that listen to the show, especially this early hour, are getting out on a Saturday morning, getting ready to start their their weekend worth of work. Landscapers, professionals out there listening, can they come to you and you point them in the right direction for jobs and careers in the industry? How does that help? Absolutely. I, this is such a great industry for a career and uh, because it's just so varied. If you're uh, artistic, if you've got or if you're a, a garden type person, if you are a, uh, any kind of landscape professional or interested in it, you can come to us for information about how to get in the industry. If you are a member, you can um, put your job postings on our website. And there are literally hundreds of jobs available now and, and very good paying jobs and careers. This is, it's not just someone mowing the lawn. Maybe you start out that way, but you can really build a business and a career in the industry. And that's what we're so excited about and want to get more young people involved. And there's so much education out there right now, too. And Clint, you've been a part of a number of webinars, even some that I've attended. Because of COVID, we've changed the way that Master Gardener programs, the extension services do training and free courses for folks. So there's a lot of education out there. You can start at urbanagcouncil.com if you want to follow up um, on what Mary Kay was just speaking about. But Clint, speak to that and how much pride you take and folks joining these webinars and really learning about the topics they're passionate about. They're passionate uh, about their lawns, their landscapes. It's kind of hard to be a turf specialist and not be passionate about grass yourself. So uh, it's always good when you when, when plant folks get together and, and, and it gets kind of effervescent from there uh, with one to the other. So when, when you get homeowners or professionals in the same room and you're, you're talking about whether it's weeds or insects or diseases or fertility or soils, you know, all those good, sexy things there, uh, <laughs> everybody just kind of seems to grow off of each other and, and the information flows and exchange of ideas. And fortunately for me, I'm bringing it from a scientific perspective of things where we've done the research and been able to prove some of these concepts of how things work and, and what what works best in our landscapes here in the state of Georgia. 
Absolutely. Well, speaking of what's sexy right now, here we are almost to the middle of April, and we're seeing spring green up, guys. That's super exciting for the folks that have those warm season lawns. They've been dormant all winter and into early spring. So I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about, guess what? Weeds in the lawn, because that's what a lot of the calls are about right now to the show. (laughs) Clint, kind of go over that, and Mary Kay, you weigh in as well. How we go about educating folks properly treating weeds in warm season grasses. You know, warm season grasses right now, they are coming out of dormancy. Some of the weather that we've had uh, with a little bit of hot, uh, warm cycles and then cold cycles that we've had in the last couple of weeks. Not only does it confuse us sometimes, uh, but it, it confuses our grass as well. So this on the gas, off the gas kind of thing. Grasses are coming out. Uh, they're, they're little, I would say they're on time this year. Things seem to be very normal at, at this point. It's a time where warm season grasses, you just got to be careful with them. They're, they're a little precious right now. And I'm not a big fan of putting a lot of post-emergence herbicides out there mm-hmm. uh, on them during greenup. So what I like to see this time of year are many of our winter annual weeds. Mower works as a real good suppressor of weeds. Just, just start mowing the lawn, mow it regular once a week, once every 10 days, uh, and mow it at the same height that it went into dormancy at. And uh, that'll put pressure on some of these weeds to go ahead and die off because they're annuals. And uh, we're a little bit add a little bit more heat to them, and uh, they're in their life cycle, and we're going to have grass come on. So right now, I'm I'm a big fan of just just mowing uh, for for weed control and weed suppression. Well, and you know, Clint, the best defense is a good offense. Honestly, the, <laughs> the tougher the lawn and the stronger the lawn, it will naturally choke out weeds. That's correct. So you, we want to do the right things agronomically to help the grass. So one thing you don't want to do is put something on that slows it up uh, during that transition. And sometimes, depending on the grass species we have, some of our herbicides, they won't kill the lawn, but they certainly can slow it up or stunt it. And we want to get as many growing days each year as we can. So the sooner we can get started in the spring and not have the grass under any kind of stress, whether it's imposed or otherwise, it's just going to improve improve that lawn and help it choke out those weeds going forward. As well as with diseases and and insects, that the, the healthier the lawn is, the healthier the grass is, the healthier any plant is, the better it is to be able to stave off disease and insect attacks as well. As an industry, we, we truly believe to use as few inputs as, as necessary to keep your lawn and landscape healthy and vibrant. And if you are going to you know, apply pesticides, weed control, and things like that, make sure you know what you're applying. Um, either if you hire a landscape professional, uh, make sure, ask the questions, do you have a Georgia pesticide applicator license? Because in order to have that and be able to, to spray the chemicals, they've got to know what they're doing. They've got to have CEUs and um, you know, ongoing education. If you're a homeowner DIY, don't just go to the, the hardware store, the big box store, and stand in front of the, um, you know, the, the shelves and say, oh, that looks like it might work. <laughs> you, can, you can take samples of your, of your lawn or leaves or plants that are problematic with that to the, the county extension agent and to some of the higher quality nurseries who have people who are knowledgeable. Your advertiser, Pikes, is, has people who are certified plant professionals, and they can, they can help diagnose what you need to be doing to your plants or your lawn. But that's important because if you keep putting more stuff on the plants and the lawn, you can really weaken and and damage your landscape. 
Right. And just unnecessary use of chemicals. We we never advocate for that. But also, folks, you can visit uh, my Facebook page. Green and Growing WSB is all you need to search. And there is a photo album on there, Weed of the Week. And I guarantee you, yeah, 80% of the weeds, I'm not going get, to get cocky and say you're 100%, but 80% of the weeds you're going to be experiencing between now and fall, pictures are on there. So that way you can go armed with the knowledge of knowing exactly what you have as you go to the stores and the nurseries, like Mary Kay just said, and trying to uh, to do that yourself. But Mary Kay, we do also speak to the sect of listeners here that just use a landscape company. They're they're busy bees, or they maybe don't know what they're doing, a little in- intimidated by the process of a of a lawn. So they, uh, you know, employ landscape companies to take care of things. And my last talk with you a year ago, I really wanted to empower them to make sure that they have the right knowledge, at least to kind of stay on top of some of these guys. So let's talk about shopping for a landscape company, things you want to look for, questions to ask them as you're just getting to know each other. First of all, um, figure out what you really want to do. What are your needs? What is your budget? And if we're talking about uh, like design, build, you know, installation, things like that, make sure you select a company who's licensed and insured. Ask the company how long they have been in business. Ask for examples of their work and references. And don't just ask for the references. Contact, you know, the individuals. Talk to them about, you know, what, what was your experience? People are, are pretty honest about that. I would also say don't go blindly by looking at reviews on Google, Yelp, and, and sites like that. Because what you often find are the, the, the you see more negative than positive because negative reviews you know, people are mad and they put, put those up. So I wouldn't, wouldn't always trust those. You need to ask the company for a, a written plan and or a contract. That's a good That protects idea. you. That protects you. And that protects your, uh, the business as well. I can't tell you how many times I've, I, you know, over the last 10, 15 years when I've been in this role, I've had, you know, individuals call me and say, well, they didn't do this, that, or the other. And I said, what's the contract say? And it obviously wasn't, it wasn't in the contract. People, there's got to be a scope of work and expectations on both sides. You just want to make it safe for the contractor and for you when you're contracting for the services. So you both know, you know, where you're, each one's coming from. I can't echo that enough. I was actually on a site visit here about a month ago where the homeowner had grass installed uh, back in October, November. They were afraid that they didn't get a real good sod job. And um, a couple of pictures that they sent me, actually, it, it did look like a real good sod job. So uh, um county agent and I visited the property and talked with the homeowner. And actually, it wasn't that bad of a side job. But some of the things that they said that the contractor said they would do uh, is I took soil samples and kind of looked underneath the side and that kind of thing. It, it was fairly evident that some of the things that the homeowner thought was going to happen didn't happen. County agent was actually astute enough to ask, so what did the contract say? And the homeowner said, we didn't have one. Uh. Yeah, they were a little disappointed that they didn't have a whole lot to stand on there. But having that understanding, uh, and, and there's a lot of really good landscapers out there and a majority of our industry are are good upstanding businessmen and and doing a good job but every now and then you know something happens and things fall through the cracks and you get an unhappy customer and client and and those are the ones that you hear about not all the all the successful jobs and there's many many more successful jobs because we've got a good industry out there with good people in it absolutely i completely agree so folks to empower yourselves i'm speaking with clint waltz from the university of georgia mary Kay woodworth the executive director of georgia's urban ag council follow up on their websites urbanagcouncil.com 
We have a find a professional database. And then also that we have information about hiring a landscaper and a little brochure that gives you, you know, the, a checklist of what, of what you're looking for to help you when you're, when you're searching for that person. And Clint helps contribute to Georgia Turf. Dot com as well. Guys, I have a few more favors to ask of you, but we're going to take a quick break and step out to check traffic and weather. People know the drill. We'll be back to Green and Growing on WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Back with my guest experts, Clint Walsh from the University of Georgia, Mary Kay Woodworth with the Georgia Urban Ag Council. And Mary Kay, we were just talking offline, and I wanted to give you and Clint the opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit more about the Georgia Certified Landscape Professional Program. It's called GCLIP, that's the acronym, and it's a program run by the University of Georgia Center for Urban Agriculture where people can become certified landscape professionals in the sense that they, they learn about 10 or 12 different areas of study, both hands-on and book learning, it's all web-based, except for the hands-on testing, just to increase their skills and knowledge and keep up to date with best management practices. We do really recommend that people in the industry take that extra step and become Certified. It's not required by the state of Georgia, but it's, these are super folks that have this knowledge. It's our professionals out there that really decided they want to take their expertise to, to the next level. It's a very rigorous program, actually. The, the things that our GCLIP students have to do to go through to, to study, it's a self-learning thing, but then when they have to test, it's, it's a very rigorous pra- uh, practicum and it takes a while to do. It's just not something that uh, comes real easy. So when you get a GCLIP graduate as, as your landscaper, you've got somebody that's been very well trained and uh, going through a good bit of study and, and academic background. And that goes back to what you know I was asking you guys in the previous segment about really doing a good job of getting to know the landscape company that you may start to use, asking about their certifications, learning what all their knowledge is based off of, references, things like that. Mary Kay, I'm going to start with you to wrap things up. They can find out a little bit more either about GCLIP or just what the Urban Ag Council does here in Georgia. Go to our website, it's urbanagcouncil.com, and you'll see a, a myriad of uh, choices on, on the banner. To find a professional, you can search our database by county, by service, uh, and, and then that way you can also see examples of landscape professionals who remember their work. We have an awards program that has beautiful photographs of, from these companies who have entered and won awards. So I think that's always a great starting point. Yeah, we just love this industry as an association. We advocate, we educate, and we promote our professionals and and just want to serve as a good resource for both the professionals and consumers. And Clint, as many times as you've been on the show with me, you've always been a very good steward of the industry as well and representing the University of Georgia very well, too. So how can folks find out more about what your group is doing in Griffin? GeorgiaTurf.com and spell out Georgia. So GeorgiaTurf.com. Those that are familiar, we do a turfgrass research field day every two years. Uh, it was supposed to happen last year, but COVID got in the way. To stay on schedule, we won't be doing that until 2022. But our webpage has our, our educational programs, our all educational offerings, uh, directions to our industry trade associations like uh, the Urban Ag Council, as well as to the GCLIP program. 
Um, so that'll help kind of get you through to some of these. And, and let me encourage folks out there. I, I, it's great to have the DIYers, uh, and, and it's a lot of joy at, uh, to do your own lawn. But uh, sometimes it can be a little bit more challenging than, than you care to, to take on. And let me encourage you to, to look at our landscape professionals statewide, whether it's maintenance of just mow and blow or whether you're looking for somebody to do fertilizer and spray applications for your lawn or even new installs. We've got a great industry, some great folks out there, uh, well-trained, well-educated, and very much engaged. Use our landscape professionals. They're a great group of people and uh, well-trained. My thanks to you both. Always great resources here on the show. You're listening to 95.5 WSB and Green and Growing. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing here on 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning to you. Always thrilled this part of the show to have my colleague Walter Reeves back in studio with me. Walter, good morning. Hey, good morning, Ash. So this is where we do Walter Wonders, and we've had you back in week after week after week, and we brought someone extra today. Alex. Hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. From the traffic team, ladies and gentlemen. So what got you out of bed early on a Saturday morning? If you ask, I come. (laughs) That's right. She's here. So what a trio we have here. So I don't think we ever all three work together. You didn't really no, ever do traffic, traffic on Saturday mornings, did you? No, for a little bit. Not much, though. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So here's what got us together, folks. Yes. A plant quiz. Yeah. And who put this quiz together? Me. So you're putting us on the spot. Uh-oh. I'm going to see how much you and Alex know about where plants come from. Uh-oh. Uh, where do babies no come from? No comparisons. This is informational, <laughs> educational, humorous. Please. All right. <laughs> no pressure. My hands are we'll already We'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, first, we know that the peach is the state uh, fruit, I guess you call it. Georgia is known as the peach state, et cetera. Where did the peach originate? Hmm. What country? What part of the world? We're no looking it up. Um, originated country or state? Country. Holland. A terrible mm, guess. That's a terrible guess. A terrible guess. Alex, do better than that. Venezuela. Oh, Ooh. Lord. <laughs> oh, my God. Are we even on the right continents? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're not even right. China. Of all places, the peaches came from China. Uh, yeah. Okay. How did they get to oh, America? Okay. I have no idea. But somehow, somewhere, the plant explorers of 1492 decided, oh, this is a cute little fruit. Let's take it to America and plant it there in Georgia. It looked like you could grow a lot of peaches. And so they planted it in Georgia. And Georgia at one time, of course, was the... Highest peach producing state in the country, but no longer they do, do they do that. And Walter, for and Alex too, will learn you a little something this morning. For people that have home orchards, yeah. especially in Georgia, growing peach trees aren't as easy as you would think. It's a lot of maintenance. Like yeah. you've got to spray it at the right times to pre- protect against disease and insects. Yeah. And pruning is always yeah, a thing you right. got to do too. So. Yeah, it's kind of misleading. Take some dedication. It the, does. The peach state is not suited as well it should be as it should be to be growing peaches. Right. right. Alex, what have you ever pruned? What have I ever pruned? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next question, your... please. <laughs> 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 All right, next question, please. Uh, Alex, 
We know that Georgia is a great producer of peanuts. Where did peanuts come from? Let's go with Ireland. Oh. What about Ireland <laughs> ever brought peanuts to your mind? <laughs> did you just wake up or something? Yes. <laughs> yes, that must yeah, be it. It is early on Actually, Saturday. Actually, uh, better than that, uh, okay. where did peanuts come from? My thought process is going to be there are a lot of monkeys in South America. Oh, yeah. and maybe monkeys like peanuts. True, so I'm going to go true. with Colombia. I'm going to give you South America, and you're right. Yes. Oh, Actually, look at that. Go with it, Peter, South America. That's exactly right. Colombia is one of the biggest countries there, so I just figured land space. I well, it doesn't have anything to do with monkeys as far as I know. But <laughs> peanuts, well, yes, but South America. But the logic America. of how that I got is, there. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. 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 So what country? Uh, Brazil, okay. uh, Bolivia, places like that. We know that a lot of Italian dishes have tomatoes in them. Where are tomatoes from? Ashley Frasca, where are tomatoes? Where did they originate? Thousands of years ago. Long ago, long ago. Well, you just said Italian food, so I'm going to go with Italy. No. That, that wasn't a hint? A really no. obvious hint? No. No, okay. no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, Alex Williams, where did tomatoes come from? Tomatoes. Let's see. I am going to go with Germany. Oh, you too. You too. <laughs> just, oh, my gosh. Oh, we're so bad. You could not be wronger. <laughs> wronger. Is that a word? You yeah. could not be wronger. In this case, absolutely. Tomatoes, South America. Oh. South America oh. again. And how did tomatoes get from South America to Italy? Again, Columbus said, oh, look, this cute little red thing right here. It looks poisonous to me. Mm-hmm. Let's take it to Italy. And in Italy, they you know waited a couple hundred years before they would even taste it. But then when they did taste it, they thought, man, this would be good with dough, pizza, lasagna, spaghetti. All those things with tomatoes from South America. I love tomatoes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. in everything. Sure, sure, sure. So tell me then, with South America being the theme just then yeah. with tomatoes and peanuts, is there any common thread in how those two things in particular are grown, that they're both successful wow. in, in that region? Not to my knowledge, other than it's just a good South America has arid as well as um, humid environments. And so you got a lot of things that could grow, potentially could grow and become, you know, healthy big plants and feed us, I guess. I don't know much more than that. Okay. All right. Well, Alex, you, you like the hints out here. <laughs> Where did Irish potatoes come from? Oh, my God. Uh, Ireland. No. Ashley, Ashley, A Ashley, potato Ashley. famine and all of that. You yeah, right. Yeah. Potatoes. Yeah. I'm going to go with um, right. Germany. <sighs> oh, no. South America. Okay. Golly. Once again, South, South America. So where did they get the name Irish potatoes? I have no idea. <laughs> all right, now a question. Uh, Frasca. Okay. Uh, give me any fruit or nut or edible thing that originated in North America. Silence fills the room. Philly cheesesteak. Uh, I'm talking on a plant, you know. <laughs> oh. Philly cheesesteak is a good, good guess. <laughs> Close, but um, no. Oh, blueberries. Darn, she's got one. That's exactly wow. right. That's exactly right. Blueberries, native to North America. Wild? They started off wild, they started like in, wild, in woodsy little, areas? Tiny little bitty things, and then you know, farmers would take them and breed them back and forth with each other to make larger fruit, and so you, now you got large you know, big blueberries. But yeah, originally they were native to North America. All right. Yeah, you got it. Let Alex maybe try to think of one, but give him like the, um, direct him if there's a fruit or a vegetable or a, a, nut, a nut or something. Yeah, yeah. all right. Alex, category nut. All right. Category Georgia grows a heck of a lot of them. I have two that I'm thinking of. All right. I'm going to go with the pecan. First time yes. a man got well, one right yes. there. Fist <laughs> bump for Alex. That's exactly right. Pecan. Good. Mm-hmm. Native to or, you know, part of North America, probably Illinois, mid-America is where the pecan came from over there. 
Name a wild fruit ashifresca that is native to North America. Possums love them. And you know how I love possums. But possums. It grows on trees? It grows on trees. It's a fruit. Do you have one around that I can ask? A possum. Let me think. Excuse uh, me. Petunia. Excuse me, sir. Petunia. Uh, uh, no, no, no possums. Um, I mean, that shot out every fruit that I was going to guess because I was thinking yeah. shrubs, bushes. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, All right, Alex. You yeah. look a little like I should get that. Was, but what do you think, Alex? Cherries. No. Oh. That's a good guess, though. Good guess. Persimmons. Oh. Yeah. Possums love to get up to the persimmon tree and eat persimmons. All night long, underneath you see possum poop full of persimmon seeds. <laughs> and so that's how new trees get sprouted. There you yeah. go. Interestingly enough, there are both American and Asian persimmons, and that is because back long ago when the world was one great huge continent, it split. And so this tree that was producing something like a persimmon split apart. Part of the you know, genus of the species went to China, right. and part of it stayed here in America. So you now have two different kinds of persimmons, a large-fruited Asian persimmon, big fist-sized things, and a small-fruited American persimmon. And there you go. Both out of All right. yeah. And you've never eaten a persimmon. I have not. Me neither. So we're, we're together on that. Uh, one or two last ones, common fruits, another fruit, tree, and you use it to make a pie, a very delicious pie. In fact, I'll tell you, apple pie, where's it come from? Where's the apple come from? Is it still countries? Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with Canada. Uh, I'll tell you another clue. It's a stan. A what? A a country whose name ends in stan. Kazakhstan. (laughs) Alex, you're the man. You got that exactly right. Kazakhstan. Not Uzbekistan. Kazakhstan. No, no, that's not right. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. He is right. Oh, sheesh. All right. I I owe Alex something for that. That was actually really good. I didn't even know that was a real country. I thought that was a made up (laughs) name. Oh, God. We'll do geography next week. (laughs) Will you come back for a geography lesson? We've got Walter Reeves and Alex Williams in studio. And Alex, we're doing a plant origin quiz. And I'm doing better than I thought. I was going to say, are we mentally <laughs> keeping score? I think we're both kind of close, like Kazakhstan three and three, maybe? Are. Yeah, like both two and three, three, something like that. Yeah. yeah super. So, right, Walter, so you're stumping us. A couple of easy ones, a couple of easy ones. Uh, oranges, citrus plants of generally. Where Somewhere near from? the equator, which is warm. Yeah. Tropical place. But remember, some countries go from the equator over to cold places, too, so... It could be all over the place. Some countries are great, big, huge, wide places that have both hot and cold. I'm going to go with Spain. Florence. Try Alex. Greece. Ooh. I like that guess better than Spain. Both of them just equal, <laughs> equally wrong. That's, that's good. They're both equally. China. Oh. I don't know. China. Why aren't you We're not giving China. Everything comes from, come from China. Yeah, Where's yeah, the guy in China? See, that's why I gave you the hint. It could be some places both warm and cold, which China, of course, is warm and yeah. cold. Okay. That's a bet. So China's landscape, I mean, it's such a huge country, but think they've got everything. They've got mountains, valleys, a little bit of water. Mm -hmm. Again, a good place like Mm -hmm. South America, a place where a lot of plants can grow and a lot of people too. And people, of course, are there to, well, to eat the plants, basically to find things that are edible to support their villages and their families and things like that. Wow. You want one last one? One more for us. All right, one last one. And this is the easy one because we all three love, 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 love it. Chocolate. Alex, where does the ingredients for a Snicker bar or Hershey Kiss? Holland. Holland. It's a good guess. Fresca? You've been on a garden tour to a country where you brought me back chocolate. I did. It was Holland. It was wrong. (laughs) 
It was Holland? It was Holland, but that's not where they originated that's not the from. It was his answer, it was but my it guess. was wrong. Oh, oh, uh, oh, I thought maybe it was Vietnam, and then I was, no, so that's no, where you, I was like, no, no okay. No. Um, where does chocolate come from? Chocolate grows from a bean? Uh, yes, you say that, a pod that has a bean inside, yeah. Okay, kind of like coffee. Yeah, kind of like coffee, okay. exactly. Um, Brazil, Venezuela. Central America, I'm going to give it to you. Okay. I think you're right. Central yes. America chocolate, yes. Okay. That's where it comes from. Nice. And they have the pie. They take the bean out. They ferment it. They roast it and then grind it up and make chocolate. A little sugar to make it sweet. There you go, chocolate. Have you been there on a tour? I've not been to that part of Central America been to, or South America. I've been to Costa Rica. They grow chocolate there. I've been to other countries that have it as well. Alex, who knew you'd find yourself on a garden show? Not me. <laughs> but it was fun. I enjoyed doing it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank yeah, you for man, coming in. And Walter, thanks for being part of the show. As always, we'll talk to you next Saturday. Looking forward to it. Having fun on the show today. You're listening to 95.5 WSB and that weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know the time. It's time to do this. Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, time to get my little notes out here. Number one, sweet corn, squash, tomatoes, and other warm season vegetables can all be planted after the danger of frost. Now, usually we say tax day. That's around April 15th in most of the state. Folks in the mountains may wish to wait a week or two longer. And I'm just picking a random weather station in Alpharetta from the University of Georgia. There's not one like right in the heart of downtown Atlanta. But looking at that, the average last frost date has been as late as April 16th. That was back in 2014, so you can never be too careful. April 12th in 2012, in the last couple of years, it's ranged anywhere from the beginning of March to the middle of April, so you just have to be safe when thinking about your crops. Number two, as the soil temperature gets warmer, add summer annuals to the landscape. Be sure to amend the soil with rich organic matter as good drainage is essential for the survival of tender annuals. And, you know, it doesn't have to go in the ground either, folks. If you have some annuals that you would love to grow, they do great in window boxes, porch boxes, hanging baskets, and pots as well. And just to name a few, you got begonia, celosia, coleus, and geranium, so keep those in mind. And number three, as hostas begin to emerge, you're seeing that right now, and I spoke about this about a month ago, too, as they were just peeping up out of the ground. That's the right time to dig and divide them. If they've gotten too big, maybe overcrowded for the space, or they just need a location change, that is a great plant to share with some others if you are so inclined. And again, I have found the hellebores. I'm always a big advocate of pushing on Lenten rose and hellebores onto you if you don't like hostas or you find that the deer eat them and you're maybe looking for another perennial that's good for that same kind of area with the shade, stays a little moist, you know, doesn't receive full sun. Hellebores, Lenten Rose is something good to consider. Well, hey, I appreciate you being here listening to the show every Saturday morning. And I want you to visit the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. Search that on Facebook. Give it a like. I think give it a follow now. They've changed some of the rules on Facebook. But um, try to keep you up to date on things going on around Metro Atlanta, whether it's garden clubs and other things you could be a part of, volunteer opportunities, and also two particular photo albums I'd want to turn your attention to. Weed of the Week, 
where I've kept up with posting a picture of a new weed, which that's never ending, every Monday, try to identify it for you and help you tackle it. And also highway horticulture. That's something I started doing with Walter Reeves back during the Lawn and Garden Show. Flowering things in the spring that you're seeing and you just may not know what that tree or what that plant is. I help you identify it, spot it, and get to know a little bit about it. So I appreciate that. Rolling right along on a Saturday morning. I'm so thankful you're here, and I can't wait to hear from you. 404-872-0750. I am Ashley Frasca from Triple Team Traffic and hosting Green and Growing right here on WSB. We'll be right back.